Well, welcome to Mansfield Bible Church. Glad that you're here with us online as well as in person. Uh, what a joy. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about uh, the book of James starts out to the 12 tribes in dispersion. And I would say, you know, that's a very fitting description of the church right now. The church in dispersion, spread it out uh, all over the place, but connected uh, by way of technology, connected by way of being in person, and I praise God for our church family. I praise God for who he has here and uh, who he desires to grow in him. And so as we get into his word, as we study together, uh, we get a chance to really see what God is going to do. Um, Every day is different. Every week is different. I know that now we've got masks that are required everywhere in Texas. And so it's, it's, it's a crazy time. Never know what the next week is going to bring. Uh, I praise God for each and every one of you. Um, I want you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 16. We're continuing our study, uh, Overcomer. And uh, let's see if I can get that to show up on the screen. Ta-da. The wonders of technology. Um, so, uh, I started thinking about how we love stories of overcomers. In fact, I talked about that a little bit this last, uh, week, uh, last Sunday. And I, this week I, I was continuing to think about that, these stories of overcomers. I was thinking about Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg was rejected from USC twice. They had a great film school. Uh, he was turned down from the film school of his choice. And you kind of go, oh my goodness, Steven Spielberg, one of the most prolific filmmakers of all time. Schindler's List, Jaws, E.T., I mean, you, the list goes on, right? I was thinking of Bethany Hamilton, another story that I looked up this week. Uh, she had her arm bitten off in a shark attack. Completely bitten off. She was 15, uh, 13 13 years old, uh, uh, on a surfboard. A month later, she was back on the surfboard. And two years later, she actually won the NSSA National Championship. Talk about overcome her story. Wow. Uh, one that uh, is not somebody that I listen to a lot, but Jay-Z couldn't get uh, signed to any record label. He couldn't get signed. It's not on my playlist, sorry. But uh, <laughs> he, he couldn't get signed to any record label, but Time Magazine in 2013 ranked him as one of the most influential people in the world now, and he's married to Beyonce. And I just think, wow, how his fortunes changed. I think about Thomas Edison, this famous story that you probably all know. He tried or failed a thousand times trying to figure out what the best filament was for a light bulb and when somebody asked him well how does it feel to fail a hundred or a thousand times he said I've just found a thousand ways that won't work what do you mean failure you know and I just think wow these overcomers they just they blow me away and and each one I think well that's good for them yeah good for them but what about me right I mean that's our struggle is, yeah, good for them, what about me? How am I going to be an overcomer? What about my life moving forward? God loves overcomer stories too. The scriptures are full of them. When you read the scriptures, you see all these stories that you think this is never going to work, this is never going to happen, they're never going to be successful. 
And then you read stories like Gideon, who he was afraid, not even very courageous. In fact, one of my favorite lines uh, is two lines just put back to back. It says, uh, if you're still afraid, go with Purah, your servant, and to the camp of the, the uh, uh, Midianites and hear what they're saying. Very next sentence. So he went with Purah's servant to the camp of the Midianites. <laughs> Makes me laugh. I think he was afraid. And scripture just kind of puts them back to back and you kind of go, wow. I love the story of King David. A guy who was just tending sheep. Hezekiah, who had Sennacherib come and, uh, and, and was going to destroy him and, and, and said all these horrible things and then God won the great victory for them. These overcomer stories that are just amazing to me. And I think about how last week we looked at the fact that we have all the tools that we need to be an overcomer. When we looked at our passage in 1 John, we saw that there was this it's a process. Overcoming is a process. It's, a, it's at least three steps. And, 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 the, and the first step is new birth in, in Christ, being born again. The same author who wrote 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John, obviously, the Apostle John, who wrote the famous words uh, of John 3.16, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. And it's this new birth, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we have everlasting life. And then in 1 John, he talks about how do we overcome? It's by our faith. And so it's our faith that moves forward. So these acts of faith that we trust the Lord, that it's not a DIY Christianity. I think so much of Christianity looks like DIY, do it yourself. It's not a DIY channel offering the Christian message. It's all in him. It's trusting him. It's resting in him. And so it's these acts of faith that we do the acts, but we trust the Lord for what he's going to do with it. And then embracing Jesus's deity. That's a key one. I think that we lose that one because we don't think about the fact of who are we believing in. That's crucial if you believe in somebody and they let you down and let you down and let you down, then they're not someone to have much confidence in. Jesus never lets you down. He may not do what you want him to do, but he has not ever let anyone down. It's against his nature. He does what he says he will do. He does what he promises he will do. And so when we, we look at this idea of, of overcoming. It's not just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not just cowboying up. It's not just trying to, to, to work harder and strive harder. It's trusting him. It's, it's walking with him. It's walking in his strength alone. We also saw that overcomer is who we are. We are overcomers. That is, our, that is part of our identity in Christ. You are an overcomer. Because in, in 1 John, he says as much. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Have you been born of God? Have you been born again? If you have, then you have overcome the world. He speaks it in the past as if it's already happened. Because in one sense it has, in terms of salvation, it's already happened. 
in terms of forgiveness of sins, it's already happened. In terms of who you are, you are an overcomer. Amen? Amen. That's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. What we believe is crucial to us overcoming. That's why, how did you overcome? By your faith. So what we believe is an important part of this process. What we believe about Jesus. What we believe about the word of God. I read a, uh, an article recently, uh, just last week in fact, and it was called, How the Bible Can Distract You from Jesus. I thought, interesting title. It's not going to go where I want it to go, I'm sure. Uh, and so I read the article, and it basically advocates not worrying about inerrancy, about maybe some problems in Scripture, or maybe some uh, things that are, that are inaccurate in Scripture. And he said it, he compared it to a love letter. It says if, you, if your girlfriend or boyfriend wrote you a, a love letter and, and you, you read it and it had some inaccuracies in there, you wouldn't worry about that because, you know, the big idea is that she loves me, he loves me, and, and this can all work out. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I can see how that might appeal to someone in terms of, you know, in a postmodern generation, and we talked about that with uh, Ravi Zacharias, right, where he says that people want a theology that is felt. They, uh, people reason with their feelings, and so that, that story, that idea kind of makes you think, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that really resonates with me. And the, but the problem is, is that um, the scriptures are how we know about Jesus, and so if they're inaccurate and they're inaccurate about Jesus, then what do we really know about Jesus? And that's a problem. Because then all of a sudden, it doesn't, you, you can't just have the big idea inspired without the detail, details being inspired as well. And so when we look at this idea, we have to understand that the word of God is a crucial part of the package. It's a crucial part of the picture of us understanding who Jesus is. What we believe about the scriptures is really important, especially since what Jesus believed about the scriptures was that every little detail is correct. Matthew 5, 18. Every jot and tittle, every part, every piece, every word, every part of a word is inspired. And so if that's what Jesus believes, and then I say, oh, it's not what's important about the Bible, it's about, what, uh, about my relationship with Jesus, but Jesus believed that the Bible was crucial, there's a, there's a real disconnect there. And so what we believe is absolutely important to understanding and being an overcomer in this world. We have to overcome. If I'm, if I'm going to overcome, and it's not a DIY project, it's a God project that he's working in me, then I've got to do it in his strength. I've got to do it in his wisdom. I've got to do it in his knowledge. And I can't do that without his word because that's how he communicates with us. So let's look at John 16 and verse 33. John 16 and verse 33 want to give you a little bit of an orientation to this passage because I think it's really important to understand the historical context of the passage. In fact, let me read the passage because so, I know you're, going to, you're dying to read the verse, right? So let's go ahead and read it. And then, and then we can talk about it. He says in verse uh, Matt, uh, John 16, did I say Matthew? John 16, 33. John 16 and verse 33. I have said these things to you 
that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's think about the context of these words. You read those words, you go, oh, that's interesting. When did he speak them? Thursday night, before he was crucified on Friday. Whoa. So these are some last words that he's speaking. Where was he? Well, we know that he was in the upper room and he was celebrating the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table uh, with, the, with the disciples, the Passover with his disciples, uh, beginning in uh, chapter, around chapter uh, 13. In chapter 14, at the very end of the chapter, he says, rise, let us go from here. So upper room. And we know where they're going to end up in chapter 18. It says uh, that they went, uh, you know, where Jesus was arrested, Mount of Olives. So chapters 15, 16, and 17 happen somewhere between the upper room and the Mount of Olives. Because in chapter 18, we know that it says, uh, uh, 18 and verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. So the Kidron Valley. So let me give you a little bit of perspective. Here's uh, Jerusalem, or part of it. It's uh, David's city, part of Jerusalem. It's the southern tip there, and it goes up, and you see the, the uh, temple on the Temple Mound there. On the right side, you see this valley. That would be the Kidron Valley. On the left side would be uh, the uh, Ty uh, Tyropian Valley, and then the western hill. In fact, if you wanted to get a picture, an idea of ancient Israel's uh, Jerusalem, uh, think of an ice cream cone. You got the cone, the ice cream on top, surrounded by a hamburger bun. I know, that's a crazy picture, right? Nobody puts a hamburger bun around an ice cream cone, but just stay with me. You can see the cone, which would have been David City, which is the bottom part. The Temple Mount would have been the ice cream on top. And then the Mount of Olives would have been across the Kidron Valley. And then the western hill where the upper room was would have been across this other valley, which mostly got filled in. It's, got a, it's not as deep as the Kidron Valley is. Now, why is that important? I, I think it's important where they were. I think they were on those steps right there, the southern steps. I think that uh, if you look to the left, uh, in, uh, this is a 150th scale model of the city of uh, uh, Jerusalem in the first century. Uh, and, you, and you look at just to the left would have been where the upper room would have been. So they wouldn't have had that long of a walk. So they were somewhere where Jesus was teaching. And typically rabbis would teach on those southern steps. I think that's where they were. It was a cold night. We know that from Peter uh, 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 and uh, standing around near fires. They had fires going. So we know that there was, it was kind of cold. Uh, we... Um, know that they were sitting on these steps. I imagine it's a little bit chilly for them. And he, and Jesus begins to speak to his disciples and he speaks chapter 15, he speaks chapter 16, and then he prays for them in chapter 17. So that gives you a little bit of the context. A little bit more of the context is when this was written, this gospel was written. This gospel was written by the apostle John in about 85 A.D., 
So the temple had already been destroyed whenever John is writing this gospel. So when he's saying, in the world you shall have tribulation, he knew what he was talking about. He also knew what he was talking about because if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it was in 81, four years before he writes this gospel, where he was boiled in oil and survived somehow. He was not somebody who didn't understand tribulation. He was not somebody who didn't understand those words from Jesus that he had to overcome what was going on in the world. And that's why when I read these words, both from Jesus' perspective and also from John's writing perspective, they're very powerful words. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Something we long for deep in our hearts, the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding, peace in the midst of tribulation. In me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Wow. So those are powerful words. How do they apply to me? How do they help us? Because there's a part of me, just like the other stories that I read about a Steven Spielberg, yeah, good for him. About even a, a Bethany uh, Hamilton, well, good for her. Or even Jay-Z, well, good for him. But what, and, and, and so you can read this, and well, good for Jesus, but what about me? How am I gonna get through? How does this help us? Is it just inspirational? Is it something we read and go, oh, wow, I'm inspired? Or is there something more to it? And I would say there is something more. Jesus wants to help us to overcome. And so we need to understand what it is that he's telling us here. The very first words in this, in this thing where he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Oh, wow, these things must be important to the peace that we're getting ready to experience, so we need to understand what these things are. Well, usually you would go kind of right to the verse before, and he says, behold, an hour is coming, and indeed is come when you'll be scattered each to his own home. You go, how does that, how does that help me have peace? And then I start looking back, and you see these things in verse 33. Then you go back to verse 25. I have said these things. To you and figures of speech. Oh, so he's made it a little confusing, but now he's given clarity. And then you back up a little, well, what things are those? And so you back up and you, he says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. So there's some very tough things that he's not ready to tell them. And then you back up and he says in verse six, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So he's still talking about these things. Then verse four, uh, or verse, um, uh, yeah, four, second half of four. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And then in verse, beginning of verse four, but I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So uh, you think, oh wow. So you back up a little more. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Falling away in the tribulation that he's getting ready to talk about in verse 33. And you're like, well, I'm already at the beginning of verse 16. And, and these things is looking back at verse chapter 15. And you realize that these things refers to all that he's been talking about to them as he's sitting on those steps with them. And there are things that are crucial because it's his last night on earth of freedom before he's crucified. So they're important words. Last words of a person are very important words usually. You say, well, what is he saying? 
So you go back to beginning of 15. It talks about the vine and the branches. I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me, oh wow, in me was in that 1633. These things to you that in me, in me is important. In me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So you're a branch. I'm a branch. We're overcomers. We're branches. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I him and him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And he goes on and talks about that abiding. And then he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. Okay, so prayer. So abiding, what does abide mean? It means to stay or to remain. So I'm going through tribulation, 1633. I need to remember that I need to stay in Christ. I need to abide in him. Don't move away from Jesus. Don't move away from him. He is the key. Why? Because it's in him. In me you may have peace. So we need to abide in him. Stay in him. Remain in him. Cling to him. It's so easy when we go through hard times to begin to wonder, Jesus, do you really know what you're doing here? We're still going through hard times. He knows that. You see, we think that overcoming means that all the hard stuff goes away. And that's not what it means. Overcoming means I have peace and confidence in Jesus, even in the midst of ongoing difficulties, ongoing tribulations. Because he says, in the world, you'll have tribulation. He doesn't say the tribulation goes away. It doesn't disappear. And I think, wow, then how is it overcoming? I am overcoming in the midst of circumstances. I rise above it. I rise above the circumstances because of him, because of what he does in me, not what I do in myself. That's where it's different. So we abide in him. We, we pray. He talks about in verse 11 that your joy may be full. And then he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as your own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Oh, goody, right? The world hates us, but we abide in him. We talk to him. We, we ask him, our joy is going to be full. And he kind of follows that same theme again, but expands it a little bit. But he says one more thing here in, in verse 26. He says, but that when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, and make no mistake who it is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the, the helper's coming. We have a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and talks about the, the Spirit of God. We see that helper mentioned again in verse 7 of chapter 16. Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he describes that. It's the spirit of God working in us. It's walking in the spirit. It's learning to walk in the spirit of God that we find 
The peace that passes understanding. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. And he goes on. So it's walking in the Spirit, we find peace. It's not having success. It's not having everything that those stories that I told you at the beginning, the difficulty with those stories is they all found success, right? They didn't have to keep overcoming. I wish I had a story of somebody overcoming and, they, and it never got better in their life except that they overcome because of, 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 of the attitude that they had and the focus that they had and the perspective that they had because that's more of the picture. And yet what we want is what the stories I told you at the beginning. We love those stories and we want that to be our story, but our story may not be that. I think about Isaiah and he overcame in a powerful way in Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, here's Isaiah who is, uh, uh, you know, he, he goes and has his vision uh, uh, and he appears before God. You know, I mean, it's just an incredible thing. Uh, Isaiah 6 sees the cherubim sees the angels around the throne of God he falls down I mean he, he's, he says I'm an unclean man and I dwell among a people that are unclean I mean it's this incredible story and so in, and it's the one where here I am send me and we think wow yeah send me and we, we we've heard that a lot in different missionary messages here I am send me and he says but now you're going to go to a very hard people they're not they're not going to listen to you what I thought I was going to have success. You know, I mean, God's sending me, right? He's sending me to these people and I'm going to have success. No, it's not going to be real successful. In fact, nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to respond. Nobody's going to repent. Uh, and then the next question, well, how long is this going to go on? The land's laid waste until it's going to be destroyed. Can you imagine? Uh, I'm out. Send her. Send him. You know, send somebody else. Why me? I mean, all of a sudden, you're, you, we struggle with that because we want the success story to, to, to turn out good in the end. We want a, a good ending to the story. We don't want the struggle. We don't want the boil and oil story. We don't want the Paul who said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And then he's beheaded. We don't want that ending. And yet the overcoming is not that I overcome because I have this good, successful conclusion. The overcoming is, the conclusion is, I'm going to be with him one day. And he is my success. He is my joy. He is the one that I serve. He is the one that, that is going to transform my heart from feeling like I'm defeated to being an overcomer. And to be the very thing that he calls me by name, we are overcomers. He says, you're overcomers. Now I want you to live up to that. And I'm going to be, give the spirit of God to help you do that. And I want you to talk to me about it and pray. Because it's going to be through him. These things that in me, I have said these things, verse 33, that in me. In me. Don't miss that. In me, you may have peace. So it's in Christ that we have peace. It's not on our own. It's not something. But what is this peace? What is this peace that we're going to experience in him? You know, I was looking at all the different kinds of peace. There's peace by absence of conflict. We kind of uh, 
relish in that one. Uh, you, you get on your phone and you're, you're looking at a Facebook post and you don't like it, so what do you do? Defriend, right? We're in a cancel culture, just cancel them out. Now you have peace. Now you can read your feed and, and you don't have that uncalled for, that thing that kind of disturbs your peace going on. And so we want absence of conflict or we want personal peace, being at peace with myself. In fact, I was it recalled as I was thinking about that when Francis Schaeffer in 1976, How Should We Then Live? He calls personal peace, he said, people in our culture want personal peace and affluence. Personal peace he defines as just to be let alone, not to be troubled by the troubles of other people, whether across the world or across the city, to live one's life with minimal possibilities of being personally disturbed. Personal peace means wanting to have my personal pattern undisturbed in my lifetime, regardless of what the result will be in the lifetimes of my children and grandchildren. He says, with such value will people stand up for their liberties. Will they not give up their liberties step by step, inch by inch, as long as their own personal peace and prosperity is sustained is sustained, and not challenged, and as long as the goods are delivered? And I was thinking, wow, we still want that. We still long for that. This personal peace at all costs. Inner peace and not having stressors in life. Peace with God, which Romans 5, 1 talks about, a relational peace with this relational God who loves us and wants a personal relationship and it's, and it's broken, it's got to be restored. And Jesus caused the restoration to be a possibility for everyone who believes because he died for our sins. He died in our place and made peace with God possible. I've heard people say, well, I've made my peace with God. No, you can't. You can't do that. No way you can make your peace with God. He makes peace with you. When you receive Jesus as Savior. Peace in the spiritual realm. That, that we want, we don't want to, there, there's this, this battle going on spiritually. A spiritual battle and, it, and it's, it's happening all around us. Peace in human relationships or peace from war. Uh, the idea of world peace. In fact, I was reading about that and, and um, one of the things that, I, I found was that in the uh, history of the world since um, 3600 BC, uh, uh, the former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences and Historians uh, put this, these statistics together. I'm not sure how he, what research he did. He said, since 3600 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of property destroyed would pay for a golden belt 100 miles wide and 33 feet thick all around the circumference of the earth. Wow. And you think about that and you realize... What are we longing for? What is it that Jesus is promising here? Which peace is he promising? Peace with God for sure. He says that in me you may have peace. But I think he's also talking about that inner peace or, or even maybe even a personal peace. Uh, uh, one of those where, where, where we 
Have perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee, Isaiah 26, 3. That God wants us to have a peace even in the midst of, of tribulation. We want peace from tribulation. He has, gives us peace in the midst of. He is our peace. And so we need to understand that our peace is found in him. I've said these things that in me, are you in him? Have you received Christ as your savior? If you are, then you are in him. Born as, as 1 John, uh, as he talks about in 1 John, that you are born of God because you are in him. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except he or, or the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Born again, you're in him. Now live in him by faith. Live in the spirit, walk in the spirit. Which you think, well, how do I do that? How do I walk in the spirit? It's simply a matter of submitting to God. That's what Ephesians 5.18 talks about. It says, uh, don't get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So how do, what is filling with the Spirit? Well, it's in contrast to drunkenness with wine. That's being under the influence, being under the control of the alcohol. And so he's saying, you understand that? And let me go from the known to the unknown. The unknown filled with the Spirit is coming under the control of submitting to the Spirit of God. So how do I submit to the Spirit of God? I read what the Spirit of God wrote. What did he write? The scriptures, 2 Peter 1.21. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what our scripture is. And so the Spirit of God spoke to me in the Word of God as I read the Word of God and then I submit myself to the Word of God I'm, and I do that moment by moment. I begin to walk in the Spirit as I submit to him, as I trust in him, as I talk to him, as I rest in him. These things... He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So what is he talking about in terms of the world? I think it's important to understand that term. It's used in, in these seven ways in scripture. Talk about the universe, talk about the earth, the planet, and we see that even in our passage. The world system. And that's the one that I, I, I think he's focused on the most in this passage. The world system. We get our word systemic from system. And we think about, we've heard that term a lot recently, systemic racism. And, and this, these, this racism that's built into our, our symbols and our statues and, and built into different laws that we've had. And, and so this, this idea that the systemic racism is there and it needs to be eradicated, right? We see systemic other things as well sin is systemic in our culture and in fact john and first john talks about three things that are systemic in us and in our culture and in our world he says in first john 2 that the desires are the flesh so flesh is built into our culture. You see it everywhere. We, the term sex sells is, is, is the way it works, right, in our society. And we see all these different ways in which that promotes different other products. We see in uh, the desire of the eyes. If you 
Google something that you're looking for, all of a sudden it shows up in all your advertising and they keep putting in front of you, hey, you want this, right? Don't you want this? Do you keep seeing the picture? You go, yeah, I want that. And eventually people tend to buy the desire of the eyes, even if we can't afford it, the desire of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, self becomes important, power, money, pride. And, and, and you look at those things and you realize he's talking about, he says, in the world, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. In this world system, the world hates you, as he talked about earlier in chapter 15. There's going to be problems in this world because you're associated with Jesus. And yet he's the key to overcoming. I mean, think about it. If we in the midst of tribulation, are trusting in the Lord and people begin to see our lives and they see a peace in us that passes understanding and they're in the midst of tribulation and you're in the midst of tribulation. That testimony is powerful. And people go, I don't know what he's got and I struggle with this Jesus, but I want what they have. I want what he's got. I want what she's got. I want this peace that passes understanding. And that's what Jesus promises here. It's a promise here. That if we do these things, if these things are part of our life, that we're abiding in him, that we pray, that we depend on the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit, there's going to be a joy and a peace that passes understanding. And know what? Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you. Not just his disciples, he prayed for you. In the high priestly prayer, you think you got all the power of Jesus praying for you. I mean, let that soak in a minute. I mean, think about that. Jesus prayed for you individually. How do I know that? Because he says in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Have you believed in Jesus through the word of the disciples? If you have, then Jesus prayed for you. And he prayed that we would not fail. In fact, that's, he says, I have said all these things, 16.1, remember this. He said, I have said all these things to you that to keep you from falling away. To keep you strong, to help you to overcome. And you go, wow, this is, this is incredible stuff. He says, but take heart. The, 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 take heart. The word there, heart, can mean courage. Take courage. It's a courageous step that we take. I have overcome the world. I, Jesus Christ, the one who is Messiah, the one who is in, came incarnate, the one who is uh, the, the uh, Alpha and the Omega. The one who is Emmanuel, the one who is God with us. He is the one who has overcome the world. And there's a part of us that reads that and says, I have overcome the world. Well, good for you. But what about me, right? Now, wait a minute. If he's overcome the world and I'm in him, that's how I overcome the world. And that's why I find great Joy, that's why I take heart when I know, take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. So when I am in him, I have overcome through him. And he calls us overcomers. And he says, I have prayed for you. 
I have said these things that you want won't fail. Your faith won't fail. What are those things? Abiding in Christ. Asking whatever you will. Your joy may be full. The Spirit of God is your helper coming along to give you strength at those times that you have no strength. When I was thinking about these things, I came across an illustration that I, uh, that I quickly thought, this hits it. There was a guy who was a captain of a submarine group. And he decided that uh, uh, it was time to, there was a brand new submarine. They just built it and they needed to take it out to test it. And so they took it out. They took it out all night and then they came back the next day. It wasn't a long time. It was just a one night short test. They come back and they were, and the, the captain was asked, he says, uh, how did that storm, I mean, we had a terrible storm last night. How did that impact you guys? And he said, it didn't. Because we were, under that layer where it's not stirred at all. It's just constant. Even no matter what's going on above, what's going on around, it was just constant. Because they were in the sub. They were protected from the storm. And I think when we are in Christ, we are protected from the storm. The peace that passes understanding comes not by doing it ourselves, but by being in him. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that Jesus Christ died in our place. Lord, we, we thank you that because he died in our place and because he overcame the world, we are overcomers in him. Not in ourselves. I'm not just this overcomer because I'm a strong, tough guy. Only way that we overcome some of the things and the difficulties of this world is in him. And he promises us when we are in him, we will have peace. Lord, we long for that peace. Lord, I know that there are those here that are struggling trying to find that peace. Those who are at home struggling for that peace. Those who are here struggling for that peace because something's going on in their life. This COVID thing changing every single week, it just is driving us crazy, Lord. And we just look to you. We're, there's, there's fear there because not knowing if jobs will still be there or, or not or, or if we'll catch the virus or not. Father, all these different things that we struggle with, that we wrestle with. Lord, right now, we just give them to you. We, we can't carry them all and you didn't intend for us to. So Lord, we come before you and we, we lay them at your feet. Lord, we come to you and we, we want to be the overcomers that you desire for us to be. And so, Lord, we look to you. Our hearts belong to you. We, we cling to you, Lord, right now. And, Father, I pray for those who are struggling right now with this idea of overcoming and wondering how could this be. Lord, I pray that you would help them to experience some of your peace. I pray that they would experience the peace of abiding in you, the peace of trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is working in their hearts and in their lives and in this situation. And no, no matter what happens, they are still in you. No matter what happens, you can give them peace in the midst of the storm, and I pray for that, for each and every one of them. And Lord, I pray it for myself as well, that you would give us 
as a body of believers, your peace. And I pray that as we walk in your peace and in your strength and in Christ, that people around us would see you. They wouldn't see us. They would see what's happening in us and they'd say, Lord, or they'd say, I want what that person has. And Lord, I pray that it would cause discussions to happen for the cause of Christ. And I pray that there would be people drawn to you because they see our peace in you. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ died on a cross for us. And we pray that you would grow us, grow us in faith, grow us in strength, grow us in dependence upon on you. And Lord Jesus, I pray and thank you for all that you've done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.